remains a 15-year-old Raynham resident, Mary Lou this is declassified ah uh, should i do a disclaimer sure we swear so if you don't like swears don't listen i'm not as eloquent as susie sorry <laughs> susie's not with us today yes we miss susie we do miss susie welcome to declassified murders cults ghosts conspiracies yes i think Anima that covers papers. it all all good stuff good stuff but today we're gonna wrap all of that together and talk about authors who have written about these things and the price they've paid for yep writing about these things <laughs> good 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 so we kind of bounced around i feel like was picking a subject and then Lindsay was like you know what this is what we're gonna do and I said great I'll look into this one <laughs> well what, what we were doing is we're trying to so summer summer is tough as podcasters and I'm sure fellow podcasters would agree that summer is scattered you have vacations you're not all aligned your family's going in a million different directions we're also in New England so summer is super short yes here so you have to get out while you can. Take advantage for like, you know, the two months that we have. And also, you know, I would say viewership, but it's not really viewership in a podcast. Listenership is is not, is sorted down during the summer because people have other things to do. Commuting is not always um, top of mind. There's a lot of more work from homes, working remotely, or vacations going on. So we're going to try and start this ball rolling for getting August going, social media, climbing, and start the, the August and the fall off hot. So we're starting it with crazy things about riders. Super hot. This may be a familiar story to some people, but I had watched the movie and kind of glossed over it and then Lindsay brought it back up to my attention and I was like I didn't really because the movie was shit yeah I didn't really understand what was going on in the movie I may have been drinking while I was watching it I may have fallen asleep once or twice because the movie's poop and the book is good and so usually what's the movie you true story so, true story which is which was James Franco and Jonah Hill directed by Rupert Gould I think it was like 2013. So, anyways, it was in the 2000s. Um, and it is the story of Michael Finkel and Christian Longo and kind of how they became intertwined with each other. Uh, so let's dive in mm. because the summary just leads into this. I'm not familiar with any of this. Not familiar with Fabulous. the movie. Not familiar the with book. the true story. The book. The book. Is great. <clears throat> good. The okay, full good. title of the book is True Story Memoir Mia Culpa by Finkel. Okay. So he was a writer in the you know early two thousands. I mean he's still a writer. 
in the in his early 30s, he was a journalist for a New York Times magazine, and he kind of got himself into a bit of hot water for his story in 2001 about child laborers in Mali, um, investigating reports of slavery on cocoa plantations in West Africa. He tried to basically have a full story in one person, in like one little boy's struggle in this area, but that little boy never actually existed. So there were inconsistencies that people kind of, and I mean, New York Times Magazine is a large magazine. Mm. So if you're going to put out this like heart-wrenching, crazy Mm. story about this little boy's triumph and tribulations of West African slavery, then you kind of need to make sure that you're on the up and up. And he never, he could never find that one story that was like a full thread, like a full. He had bits and pieces. He had bits and pieces. And then he was like, this would be much more interesting if I just wrapped wrapped it it around one one person. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) that's bad journalism. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so that was a big no, no. And the story was published and, um, Finkel was ultimately exposed and publicly kind of, uh, excommunicated, whatever you want to call it, and fired. He was let go from the magazine. He kind of retreated to his Montana home in early 2002, and he got a phone call from another journalist asking about uh, if he had heard about the bodies of two children who had been discovered in a coastal Oregon pond. Their ankles had been tethered to pillowcases and weighted down with rocks. They were identified as 27-year-old Christian Longo's two eldest children, Zachary, who was four, and Sadie, who was three. Several days later, his wife, Mary Jane Longo, and their two-year-old daughter, Madison, were also found in a nearby bay. Each had been strangled and packed in a suitcase and thrown into the water. Christian Longo was traced by the UFI to Cancun. By the UFI. By the FBI. (laughs) That's a new agency. Yeah. To Cancun, Mexico, um, but he introduced himself as Michael Finkel. So this journalist this in Oregon was following the story of the bodies that were found in Oregon and reached out to Michael Finkel to say, do you know this guy who who was caught in Mexico and is calling himself by Ew. your name? Who is saying that he's you. What? So this is Finkel... Like- Finkel was like, uh, nope, <laughs> but I would love to know more about this. Because again, he's out of work, so he's not working, and this is a, this was a very hot murder investigation where Christian is accused of murdering his entire family, and he's denying it. He's not saying, like, yep, I did it. He is totally denying it, pleading not guilty. Which they always do. Right. right. All the people that murder their whole family right. always... Are like, and he's in Mexico know. having, yeah, having but drinks. Yeah, but he is like, I fled to Mexico for the hell of it. They yeah, just, I was just planning a vacation anyway. I'm, you know... And I couldn't find them. No so. need to mourn my family. Yeah. I didn't know where they went, oh so I just God. figured I'd take the vacation anyways. So he... So Longo was brought back to Oregon and but incarceration and Finkel's like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to talk to him and see what I can, like, why me, what's going on. Right. So it turned out that Longo had read and was actually a fan of Finkel's writing in the times, National Geographic Adventure and Sports Illustrated. And that's why he had chosen the journalist identities, the identity as his own. 
uh, he agreed against the story. <clears throat> it's so what? bizarre. Wait, and, so back up because I'm trying to follow you. How did he find out again that? So the body, so the bodies were found in Oregon. Yeah. And then a journalist who was covering from the Oregonian Times or the Oregonian paper reached out to Finkel to say, "Hey, this guy is using your name, and now it's a huge murder investigation. Like, are you aware of this? And where was he using his name in Cancun when he when he was like arrested or like he fled? He's like, I can't obviously use Christian Longo. I'm gonna call myself Michael Michael Finkel. Oh my god, the famous writer that's been disgraced. Yeah, crazy. That's crazy. So, (laughs) against the advice of Longo's lawyers, he uh, actually allowed Finkel to interview him. So. They had a ton of communication while he was incarcerated leading up to his trial. They had weekly phone calls, voluminous letter writing, a couple prison meetings. They they were both kind of, I mean, I think Finkel would say that they were both kind of at their lowest point, even though Finkel hadn't murdered anyone, <laughs> like a whole family, they were kind of... Yeah, at their lowest I don't know what else. Yeah, I, I'm not getting any journalist jobs. And this guy who's not talking to anyone who has, like, the biggest murder case in right. Oregon right now is going to talk to me. Maybe I can see myself. <laughs> he yeah, he didn't trust anyone else, so he was yeah. willing to talk. Yeah. To and Finkel's Finkel. like, I don't know. He's right. using my name. I don't and know what else. Like, I don't have anything else going on. Might as well do this. I just love, this is so crazy fascinating to me. Yeah. And Finkel. But do me a favor and do not watch the movie first. If you're going to do something. it's bad. It's it's bad. bad. It's not, it's just, it's slow. It's not, it doesn't move that fast. Mm -hmm. James Franco and Joan Hack. It sounds like. It is. So watch, like, there's 2020 and there's 48 hours and there's a ton of things that covered it, but the Mm -hmm. book or the audio book. Are, is really good. Mm. I think that I'm not a James Franco fan. Just me as an aside, I, don't, I like nothing about him. Me too. <laughs> not great. Uh, I and I think that the book also gets across better the like the mind Mental of space. what like Finkel was going through mm. and what Longo was going through and how Finkel felt really really bad about not being a true journalist and the fact that he had taken liberties and what he shouldn't have done as a journalist. I think he felt like he could get redemption in Mm. sticking to like Longo's true story and trying to just redeem Mm. things about this case and did he write the book? Did Finkel write the Yeah, it was like his memoir. Yeah. Yeah. So Longo Longo was kind of an odd character as well, like super narcissist but very intelligent and kind of convincing and he had no documented history of any prior violence from the killings so um longo's young life had been marked with repeated bad judgment and risk-taking but had never been violent he had fraud and larceny in his in his background he married at 19 to fellow jehovah's witness mary jane so they were in the church uh longo struggled to support his rapidly growing family they had Four kids. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord wanted it that way. 
After working various sales jobs, he started his own business cleaning up construction sites, but had trouble collecting on invoices. So when his car broke down, he created a fake driver's license, and he drove to an Ohio car dealership and took a minivan for a test drive and never returned. (laughs) And when he couldn't meet the payroll, he faked some checks from delinquent clients in the tune of $17,000 and later forged credit cards in his father's name. So... It's getting bad. Yeah, he was arrested and lost his company and his house and was defellowshipped by the church. Mm. He took his family on a probation-violating cross-country trek that ended in Oregon, and finally it seemed he killed them. So he... Was it just, like, desperation and with life insurance money? Well, I didn't see anything about life insurance money, but I think just the fact of all of a sudden being solely responsible for four little kids and a wife is a, I know, I know, I totally, (laughs) totally, I would, that's the thing, he's a narcissist, you know, he's, he has other personality flaws, I just think that that's kind of what happened, is he was like, I see no way out, and all these people are just dragging me down, so, (laughs) on a personal note, (laughs) a couple weeks ago, I had had some choice words with Jason, and we had gone out drinking, and Colin was over his grandparents' house, and I was, as I was reading the story, I was like, you know, I said some things to Jason about his business up and down ebb and flows, and I wouldn't have been surprised if he strangled me. (laughs) (laughs) You don't think about it when it's happening, but then the next day you're like, this six foot two, like 250 pound man could easily have just strangled the life out of me and literally I wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. Like there's no So you're lucky he's a good guy. Well if it was anyone else but Jason. Yeah. I'm not saying it would have been right, but I too much true true crime. That's that's why your head goes that way. I'm like because I say nasty things to my husband all the time and I'm like, oh I don't know. Well yeah but the night up I was like letting it fly. Fuck you whatever. The next morning, I'm like, whew. I was glad we made it through that one. Yeah, you apologized. Hopefully I you did. said sorry. I did, right. definitely. But not he fast enough. me. Yeah, not fast enough. Yeah. Like, he could have just... He had more than enough time. Yeah, he could have buried me real quick. It was early in the night. It was like 1 a.m. He had a whole six hours of darkness still. And he's got the tools. And he has the tools. He could have buried right me under a pool. pool. The bottom of a pool. He could have buried me and vermiculated right wow. over my body. They would have God. never found me. I would be careful. I would that's be careful. That's an easy out. That's an easy, easy out. Totally. You watch your mouth, Ooh. Renee. So, that, I'm not saying it's... So, anywho, back to this story. <laughs> back to Mr. Finkel. <laughs> However, when Longo was captured, he did not confess. And he um, didn't even initially plead not guilty. He just stood mute to his indictment. Uh, and though he was telling his life story in great detail to Finkel, he did not account for his actions surrounding the murders. So he, Longo, was basically, like, pouring out his heart about all his life issues, but then doesn't say anything about the murders to Finkel. Like, they never actually talk about that. He doesn't he's, ask him? I'm sure blank. he does. I'm sure he narcissist. totally does. But he's like, Just no, I'd rather talk. Like, and I'm sure as any kind of good kind of interviewer will like let them just talk and see like where they where go. it goes and how you can interject mm-hmm. with questions 
So then he pled guilty to the murder of his wife and youngest child and not guilty to the death of the other two children. On the stand during his 2003 trial, he contended that Mary Jane, after discovering the extent of her husband's lies and criminality, had killed the two children, had killed her eldest two children, disposed of their bodies, and then also attempted to kill Madison, who was the youngest two-year-old. When Longo found two of his children gone and the third gravely injured, the story continues that he strangled Mary Jane and made the agonizing decision to end his youngest child's life. The jury didn't buy it, and he was found guilty, and they sentenced him to death. Oh, oh wow. So the story doesn't really... The Finkel's book was published in 2005, so now he's gone through the trial, he's like figured out who this guy is, and so he publishes this memoir. In 2009, Longo contacted the author of the Oregon's Death Row, the author from Dor Oregon's Death Row, and said he was ready to come clean. So Longo reaches out to this other journalist and says that he wants to come clean and that he could no longer keep up the facade of the stellar husband and father. And, and reached out to someone else after mm -hmm. all that? Yep. So Longo confesses to this other person, and he had um, indeed killed his entire family. He strangled Mary Jane during sex, and then like basically drowned all of his children. I don't, it doesn't say in the bathtub, but he said that he was now ready to be executed and that he wanted his um, body parts donated. Unfortunately, can you imagine if you got a piece of a disgusting person like like if you needed a kidney? Oh right, you'd never, and you probably wouldn't even know. And what if well, you found out could, though? Yeah, you could because some people ask because they want to meet the person or the, or the family, family yeah. and. Ooh. I wouldn't want to know. Uh, I don't think I'd want to know. Let's just hope I don't ever. Do oh. Anything. However. It was discovered that lethal injections that would kill Longo would render most of his good is useless. Mm, good. So Longo started an organization called Gave Gifts of Anatomical Value from the Executed, oh, with the purpose of changing execution methods to enable harvesting of organs from like serial killers. No, thank you. Just he, just oh, compost who your would asses. Want that really? Who would want? Oh. Compost your assets. That's a dilemma. That's for you. that's what I'm saying. That, that is, is a moral and ethical like. Big I'm dilemma. sorry. Like imagine if you had a child who that was like dying and like, they, like, that was your one your long on waiting list and all of a sudden it's like you know this heart has become available. It happens oh, to come from a God. man who murdered his whole family, but you know. I can't even like that is so probably the most crazy ethical moral dilemma that there probably is yeah. now that I think about it because I'm well, it trying comes to into believing the soul because do you yes. like do body parts carry pieces of that because I believe that I personally believe they do so that would be hard for me I'd look at a liver probably not a heart <laughs> not a heart but I I mean, pumps pumps your blood and keeps you alive. I, I know, mean, that's but a heart. It's if not it, a if it was my You can't sage not... stick that thing. I would be. <laughs> I'd be like, uh, before you bring it in, I'm just gonna burn this around it. Is that okay? 
Oh, I want to put a crucifix so, and some water on that thing. So he wasn't successful, obviously. I so he no wrote and he wrote a piece for the New York Times about this, and um, now so the whole, he did or yeah, Finkel did. Longo did. So now Gross. he's got a New York Times credit. So and now, like Finkel, Christian Longo can truthfully say that he has written for the New York Times. Uh, what an ale. wait! So go back. To why didn't he reach out to Finkel? Like, so Finkel here's the thing: like, Oregon's I... death row um, contacted the author from Oregon's death row. I don't know if that's is a paper is or a paper a like penitentiary. Yeah, I'm not sure statement. if that's like a. But I oh. my and I didn't look into it. But my personal thing is, I think that Longo felt like Finkel was a friend, mm. and they had communicated so many times. And that he and and Longo was such a narcissist and like a kind of sociopathic liar that he didn't he couldn't face Finkel to like say I'm I lied right. to you yeah like he couldn't the way that he talked to him yeah was like, had to be more like a friend but it was a like um, he managed that relationship yeah so when he was like all right I'm ready to confess and totally flip everything that I said he couldn't do it so he Finkel. just went to an agency it was just it like was just, an yeah, office yeah whatever who yeah. whoever the death row like Oregon's death row whatever that is was not a part of Finkel so he mm. um has he been executed so he's still on death row mm. from what I've read I haven't had any like 2019 updates but since Finkel chronicled the life and trial of Longo, he has tried to distance himself from the man who once reluctant he once he once reluctantly called friend. His attempts have been thwarted by some degree. Finkel is now married with children of his own, and he finds it harder to think about the like brutality of what Longo did to his family. But in 2015, he told Vulture magazine, I have three children and a wife to talk to him about that. I feel he doesn't deserve any satisfaction off that. I was thrust into his story in the most uncomfortable, distressed moment of my life. So it's sort of the story that saved me on some level. I have this commitment to it that I can't quite explain or even rationalize. I feel like I must be a masochist. I can't put the final period on the sentence of this thing. Um, in the same article, Finkel revealed he is currently in France working on a new book. He largely stayed away from the film, although he did speak with Jonah Hill over mm -hmm. a long dinner and visited the set once during um, a it's particularly tra tra yeah, traumatic course scene. He's like, you're not getting this right. Yeah. But Finkel's continually ha has been continually writing. He also hasn't stopped talking to Longo, even though a part of him wishes he could. Both in the film and in interviews, it has been widely reported that Longo calls Finkel, calls Finkel on the first Sunday of every month. Despite his better judgment, Finkel almost always picks up the phone. Ugh. Oh, so they're still talking? So he's still alive. Wait, but yeah. I thought that he... He didn't get executed. I thought yet. earlier it sounded like you were saying that now that he has a wife and kids, he can't understand what he did and like therefore was just like, I'm so going to put that in its place for the... He can't put the period on it. He like... He, I feel like Finkel has an internal issue with, no, until, yeah, can, until Longo dies, it's like, this person brought me out of the worst moment in my life, which is odd because, you know, Longo was going through the worst moment in his life as well, but it's, 
I feel like it's like an internal struggle of... Is it because he sees the book as the result of... Because the book was the culmination of all of those interviews, and so the book made him successful. Again, and, yeah. Right. So it's like, does he feel like he owes him something? I think I just, that's I can't part imagine of it. why he would still be talking. To but him. you probably would be... If you're a writer, and you're an investigative journalist at heart... You would be your curiosity would always be first and foremost. Like maybe like he's going to tell me a, like something. Yeah, he's going to reveal something that's a breaking story yeah. that yes. I can. Yeah. In the that New York sense. Times, Finkel revealed, despite the fact he is a sociopath and a quadruple murderer, Longo is also insanely perceptive and eloquent, and his descriptive mm. abilities are amazing. So yes, I pick up the phone. I am a journalist. Yeah. Ah, there you go. There you go. You buried it. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Good build up. You're like, yes, I do have the answer to that question. But we could talk about it before we get Yay. there. Wow. Yeah. So totally berserker, right? That's wow. Can you imagine That's getting crazy. like a phone call that yeah from so, across just, the country? You know, I feel like there's so many you know stories like the the journalist murderer. You know, people who have talked to like. Dahmer and interviews and Charles Manson and Adnan, what was Saeed? Saeed, like that whole, think about all of those conversations and the build up to that. And like, you're waiting for that piece of information. But over the course of that time, you're kind of like in a weird way becoming friends with somebody. Right. Because you spend so much time and narcissists and, you know, when, when they also have this conniving, manipulative way about them yeah. I feel like you it just get easily in. Yeah. sucked in their charisma yeah. and their way of yeah. talking and and even though you know the person's probably manipulating you you still feel like there's a kernel of truth in there that you need to All right you or you want to wanna be like I want to get to the bottom of this or and you I want to break yeah, through yeah. the manipulation yeah or you also want to wait yeah you want to wait yeah. through the bullshit and get to and let them keep talking and then yeah. you'll get to it's it. The whole psychology of it is fascinating. Yeah. So that was a good one, Renee. I know. I love. Thanks, Lance. Yeah. I want to read the book. I know. I That's where I was book. looking in my Audible um, library because I don't know if I had the hard copy or if it was an Audible, but I'll look through and see if I can send it to you because the book is fantastic. Mm. But so he's a good writer. He's a good, is a good writer. He is. He is a good writer, and the story is just amazing. And you're like, wait, what? And it's. It, if someone, I think, if you were to watch it on a good movie, again, do not watch the James Franco movie, It, I don't think anyone would believe it because it's just so far-fetched. Yeah. You know, like, this guy gets, you know, disgraced and moves to Montana and then, like, he go, kills his whole family, moves to Mexico, like... And then claims he's yeah. this writer. Yeah, never it's like would have had any connection to that guy. It's just like, but he and used to follow yeah. his, his writing because he liked him. It's just crazy. So, um, since we were jumping around a little bit um, before we pick topics, I am doing a top ten list of famous writers, famous crime writers that were killers. Ooh. Yes. Wow. Wow. Um, nice. So, let's go. Everyone likes a good top ten list. And we'll start with a very famous thriller writer in China named, we're just going to call him Lu because I don't know how to pronounce his last name. 
I think it's Youngbo, um, his claim to fame was his ability to write murder novels involving cold cases that seemed just a little too realistic. One of his titles was called The Beautiful Writer Who Killed. It was particularly gruesome. <laughs> if it, it's too on the nose, oh, yeah. too. Um, it was particularly gruesome as it told the story of a good-looking writer who killed several people without being caught by the police. The manuscript was never published because he was arrested. I do love it when they write the stories in books and then they don't think they're going to get caught and then they get caught. Yeah, and like, it's like, here, here we is, go. Here's so what this whole list is pretty much like that. The investigator, um, an investigator came to his house after DNA evidence was linked him to a cold case that baffled police for decades. And Lou, upon seeing the police officer, told him he had been waiting for this moment for years. And... Lou was finally execu executed for all the murders he had written about. Number two, we have Kenneth Halliwell. He was a troubled man who was mostly known for authoring Lord Cucumber and the Boy Hairdresser, two homoerotic <laughs> novels that he wrote with <laughs> Joe Orton. His past was one of the one that definitely made his life tumultuous. Lord he, Cucumber. Mm -hmm. I just want to say that again. Yep. Lord Cucumber <laughs> and The Boy Hairdresser. Those were his two novels. Homer Erotic. The Boy you didn't get Hairdresser. It. Yeah. He discovered his dad dead by suicide at 23 and then he saw his mother die at 11. So he had a little bit of a troubled past and when he teamed up um, with Orton, he was happy to have a protege. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. Orton's literary success took off way faster than Kenneth. Lord Cucumber. And so mm -hmm. Kenneth got jealous and killed, killed Orton. Bye-bye, okay. yeah. Kenneth. Do we know what Orton wrote? I'm sorry, should I know that name? No. Okay. No. Don't worry about it. Just making sure. They're on a, they're on a like, different list than what like, we wrote. Like some classic I was supposed <laughs> yeah. to read in high I was school. Like, and I... <laughs> now we have number three. Richard Clinkhammer. He had no qualms about being a member of the cabal of true crime writers who were actually true criminals. In fact, it seems he went out of his way to be a criminal. A year after his wife went missing, he went to his publisher's office with a book called My Wife Went Missing. Mint's Day. <laughs> this deeply unsettling book practically explained a bunch of different ways you could kill your wife. Police immediately suspected him of killing his wife, and when her body was found buried under his house, their suspicions were confirmed. He was arrested and he quickly confessed to the murder. Number four. <laughs> Number four. I'm curious, like, well, that last guy, did he, he was write the book, then kill his wife? Did he kill his wife, then write the book? So like, he was already a true crime murder? writer. So a lot of these people already had a true crime uh, um, pen penchant and like yeah. had some published mm -hmm. and sprinkled it around before they did the deed and um mm. yeah so it's like Renee we should be worried about yeah exactly really, you know with your true crime I literally so it's so it's kind of like <laughs> it's like you know I planted enough like seeds. the chicken or the egg right like, which came first right so, I definitely drive by places where I'm like that I could probably hide place. a body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I could probably not have a body found for a mm -hmm. while there. So this Scary. next like lady. Like the back of Lindsay's marsh yeah, bag. Yeah, I know. This next lady is one of my favorites because I saw a picture of her and she looks like 
an old grandma, and her name's Nancy. And (laughs) she was mostly known for being a romance novelist. But she also had this, she liked to dip her toes in true crime genre, too. This became particularly apparent after she published an essay, How to Murder Your Husband. I should read that. (laughs) It seems she had some real-life inspiration and some hands-on experience when it came to that advice because she was arrested for killing her man after its publication. So these people are also, like, insane. And also, obviously, very egotistical because they don't think they're going to get caught. There's a good story. They're like, this is, this I don't is, have anything good, else yeah. to write about. And right. This is a really good story. You write what, and you know, you the old saying, you write what you know. Yeah. So, they're writing what they know. <laughs> Christian Bala, um, he it was an up-and-coming murder mystery writer in Poland. And his novels were unsettling because they were a bit too real and too gruesome. His most famous work, Amok, which I swear was a movie too, but... Don't quote me on that. Became scandalized, drew to sexual torture scenes, and a write-up for a grisly depiction of a murder of a woman. The woman was tied up in a way that would harm her if she tried to escape, and she was beaten and thrown in a river. About a year prior to its publication, a man's body was discovered with the exact same rope tie as the one Bala described in the book. It was washed up on shore in a river close to where Bala lived. Police never mentioned the rope detail to the public, and eyes quickly turned on Bala after the book was published, and investigators found that Bala sold the victim's cell phone shortly after he went missing. Oh my god. And then they discovered that the murderer victim dated Bala's ex-wife. The author ended up getting sentenced to 25 <laughs> So then there was number six is Jack Unterweger. He is a scary looking dude. He totally looks like a serial killer. He was a little bit different than other writers who actually became criminals after they started writing. This guy was a criminal before he started writing. He went to jail for the murder of Margaret Schaefer in 74. And while he was locked away, and I don't know anything about that murder, but while he was locked away, he wrote a best-selling autobiography called Purgatory. The book was so well-received that they began to advocate for his early release, very stupidly. And after being released, he went to become a serial killer that you've never heard of. He targeted prostitutes and killed nine of them before police linked him to the disappearance of the working girls. But he had this best-selling autobiography. Yes. And if you... I should look that up. Yes. And if you find him, he totally looks like a scummy, gross, like, character actor that you would see Mm. as a scummy, gross... Mm serial killer. Isn't kind there of. like a law now that you can't make money off of I thought mm. there was. Yeah. But like because um what's his face? Yeah. Who was painting and like Jeffrey selling Dahmer. Yes. yes. Was Dahmer like painting and selling it and like a Gacy Gacy yeah. Gacy was also was an artist too. Yeah. Yep. Like selling his stuff. So I'd be like, you can't publish a book. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe yeah, it was and maybe it was at, it, this was in yeah. 74, so. So then number seven, Anne Perry is a name you might recognize if you're a fan of crime novels because her no novels grab millions of readers' imaginations for murder and mayhem in Victorian England. What most people don't realize is that she was a murderer before she even became famous as a writer. Back when she was a teenager, she spent time in prison after murdering her best friend's mother. Jesus Christ. Wow. She bludgeoned her to death. She, why? What happened is Anne Perry's parents divorced and that they were leaving the country. And Anne wanted to stay with her best friend and her best friend's mom. And her best friend's mom said, no, we can't take her. And so Anne got pissed off and bludgeoned her best friend's mom. That seems like an anger seems, management issue. Yeah, like extreme. Yeah. So and was not caught. For she that? no, she did. She spent some time some time behind bars. And um Anne Perry, that's what I think is I'm sorry. Redemption, I believe in, but not this kind. Like she became famous and wrote books. So she spent some time in jail, but what she, kind, this was in England? This what was, was this I one? think it was in New New Zealand, and then she ended up in Scotland and okay. re reinvented herself yeah. as Anne Perry. Did she ever murder anyone else? No. no. That we know of. That we know of. <laughs> and then number eight, Blake Libel was a graphic novel writer who was known for gruesome depictions of torture, and he wrote a book called Syndrome, opens on a scene of a woman who was drained of all of her blood and scalped. Investigators immediately yes. turned their attention to libel after his girlfriend, who just had a child by him, was found drained and scalped. Why is everyone so violent against women? What do but they do? It's also like these people are stupid. And so <laughs> drained and scalped. Like, what so the Los the police knew it was him. And he was sentenced <laughs> to life in prison without a chance of parole. So these authors are smart enough to get yeah. published, but stupid enough to get traced. Like, it's ridiculous. Nine. There's so many of them. Louis was, this, this goes back a little bit back to World War II. This guy was a Marxist philosopher. He lived a quiet life. During this time, he was a professor. He worked on a number of books. Though he had some scrapes with authorities over his stance on communism, nothing would have prepared anyone for what happened in 1980. That year, Louis had a meltdown that involved him strangling his wife to death. He claimed that he couldn't remember it happening and begged the police to believe him. Eventually, he got off the hook, but the story doesn't end there. Eventually, it became clear that this wasn't, wasn't a case of mental illness. He was actually one of the most sociopathic writers who were actually criminals hiding in plain sight. In his posthumously published memoir, Louis confessed to a number of terrible things. He confessed that he plagiarized most of his works oh. and <laughs> that bringing that full circle and that we didn't understand politics at all. And that the most terrible part, that he kind of enjoyed murdering his wife. And finally, our top ten. Rounded it out to possibly one of the worst sort of 
authors, and I say this very loosely, uh, O.J. Simpson. Uh, <laughs> was... How is that? Didn't he, like, If I Had Done It, is that his book? So, my... Yeah, yeah. So, we will continue this on the next podcast, because that's my ghostwriter. So, I will talk about this again. Ooh. Uh, the worst one. O.J. Simpson was technically acquitted of the murder of his wife and her close friend, um, but most people would agree that he is guilty. The Juice, as he was once called, was known for having a problem with domestic violence. Multiple phone calls to the police were made. It wouldn't be a stretch to assume he killed her. O.J. Simpson seems to be pretty unabashed about his crime, too, as he teamed up with a ghostwriter to write a true crime book called If... I did it. As the name suggests, this true crime book is all about discussing how he would have if he had actually done it. So. Is it completely different? Have you read the book? Have you ever read it? So we will discuss. Put a pin in it. <sighs> Renee. I remember this, is where, this now. I'm so excited to talk about that. This is where way. my ghost writer, and I can start the next episode if you want me to, since we'll do that, but. I have a larger part of, I was going to do something else, and then I knew that that ending on that would start a bigger conversation. And this is where I will start with the fucks I give and why I went this way. So we always like other podcasts and always look for new podcasts to listen to. And um, I, since 1994, have been obsessed with the O.J. Simpson case because of many reasons. One, I went to USC. He went to USC. Two, my papa played football at USC and sold orange juice and he used to proudly wear my papa, thank goodness, had Alzheimer's before he knew what happened, but he would proudly wear a shirt that had... OJ's 32 number that said the juice on it and would always be like, you know, like Lindsay, you know, the juice. We went to USC. I remember vividly where I was watching the Bronco chase. I remember vividly so many scenes in my life that revolve around that case where I was. And when the verdict came in, my mom begged me, because I was at USC at the time, she begged me not to go to school that day. Yeah. Because there was a huge police presence at school, because if he was found guilty, they thought that it was going to be bigger than the Rodney King riots. Yeah. And I was kind of scared. I was like, there I think is a it would chance. have been. I really and, do think that. And could. they said it could. And there was like... A lockdown drill and there was all these kind of things and I said no I'm gonna go because also it was I was randomly in I had my Holocaust class that day and I really liked that class and my Holocaust rabbi teacher guy said everyone was like had nervous energy and stuff and he said so I know you guys are if you can give me an hour of your time I know everyone is I know why you're here. I know what you want to do. I will wheel a TV in here. But just, you know, for my edification, like, let's take a vote. How many people think he's guilty? 
and 80% of the room hands went up. How many think he's not guilty? And it was probably 15%. And he's like, and how many people are on the fence? And it was probably 5%. So there was that. Also, OJ had a, next to the film school, there was a big uh, sports center and OJ had a huge um, sports gallery and it was defaced. Like there was like stuff defaced in it. And so we went through class, he wheeled in the TV, the verdict was read, the class burst into like claps and everything. And my teacher just sat in awe. And he, after he like turned the TV off or turned the volume off, and he goes, let me get this straight. And he goes, I just want to know why you're all happy. happy. Right. So people were, even the people who raised their hands and thought he was guilty. He said, he said 80, he goes, 80%, 85% of you thought he was guilty. Yeah. And 70% of you now are cheering. What happened? Yeah. And it was this like weird and... It's such a hard, it's such a weird topic, especially back then because of the Rodney King, like, right. shit show that happened, and then, right. like, I feel like race was such it a was. And it, tough so, thing to, it, Nicole was, like, this pretty white woman, and it was, it was, no one was going to win in this. And that's, mm-hmm. so, this podcast is so amazing and if you like if you are interested in the case at all and I feel so tied to it because they're for so many different reasons I have binged the whole thing and that's why I have done both my stories leading up to it it's so well done and it's done by Kim Goldman and she oh the sister and she does such a good job and if you guys can believe it's been 25 years 25 years she's had kids her kids driving now the overall takeaway is that this case has changed every single person's life that was involved every juror Mm -hmm. every news person that was attached to it Mm -hmm. obviously the goldmans and the browns obviously but every single person's life like every jurors effed up. They were in they were in sequester for almost a year. And like so the cadence of this is that she goes and talks to almost everyone from the case and people that that Ooh. might not want to talk to her. And What's the puck? Is it her own podcast or did she it's partner her, with somebody? She partnered with Nancy Glass who is a journalist. But it's just, it's really well done. She's very respectful. Even the people that were scared to talk to her even said, like, you're very respectful. You did a very good job. And she's like, I just want the truth. And so I would highly, highly um, promote listening to it because I think she did a very good job. And it also has a ton of things that, even as closely as I followed it when I was 20, um, 19, we did not know. Mm. We did not know. 
even with poor TV, we did not know half of it. And she's like finding out things right now. She's like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? And, um, it, and the differences between like what came out in the criminal trial versus the civil trial. And there's so much richness in it and it's so good. And I have lots more to tell you from my next. So we can talk all about the, the book. In the next. Wow. So, what's the fuck oh, you give? My fuck is <laughs> these fucking teenagers in Canada that are on the goddamn yes. run for murdering three people. Yes. Have you been following this. them? Oh, no. I have. So, it started out with this American couple basically going missing in Canada. They didn't know what was happening. They didn't know where they oh, were. were they, they didn't hiking? Know who, yes. Yeah, they were like hiking yes. together. And it's like here. this like young couple... And their bodies yes. were found. And then there was a third body found. He's from Canada. So they basically trace back and find out that these two teenagers who were doing a road trip through Canada out to find adventure murdered these three people. Or it's most likely that they murdered these three people because they worked at Walmart together for five weeks, saving up for this trip. And then they were seen at Home Depot. They haven't released what they were buying at Home Depot yet. And But they weren't traveling together. They, no, they were traveling. Oh, they were yeah, they were actually, best friends at Walmart. They were best friends working at Walmart for five weeks. Planning this trip. Planning this trip. And they told their parents, like, we're just, we're, like, we're going to find ourselves. We're adults now. We're both 18. <laughs> we'll like, say for a whole five weeks at Walmart. Yeah. We'll have plenty of money. Yeah. So they go out and... Apparently they're on a murder spree, and now they're in. And now nobody has caught these people yet. So they were just at a checkpoint before they were suspects. They, the Royal Canadian Mountain Police, found that they went through an alcohol checkpoint because in the area that they're traveling, alcohol is not allowed. So every so often there's a checkpoint, and they didn't find any alcohol. They didn't find weapons. They found a, pun- a bunch of camping gear, and then after that checkpoint. They crashed that car and set it on fire, like the car. So they're leaving How did a trail they get through the checkpoint. They because they, they were not, they suspects. Suspects. Yeah. They were looking for them at first because they thought that they were maybe um, victims at first. At the very beginning, on the outset oh, of this, like had a trap was knew that they were all traveling together. The. I don't know if they, like, I don't know how that, I'm sure I should know more, but I don't know how they met the American couple. I'm not sure how they came in contact with them. I don't think the news did either. They're like, these people and these people might be missing and these people and the two that are the murderers were all lumped in with them. And then two days later, they're like, oh, these guys are the bad guys. And they're leaving like trails. So they've burned two or three cars now. They're like stealing cars and like traveling. Like Bonnie and Clyde, crazy. Yeah, like they just but it's on. Clyde and Clyde. Yes, but it's Clyde and Clyde. So it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny you say that because last podcast on the left was also doing like a side story, just like mentioning like stuff in the news, and they were the best way. To get these kids to come out hiding is to say that they're doing the nasty with each other. So that, like, they'll be like, oh, no, we're not. Yes. <laughs> we'll come out and confess, yes. but no, we are not. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that if they are. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> we have to pit them against each other. So they're, they are now in, like, wilderness. Like, no one lives where they are traveling through. They, they're, the Royal Canadian Police are more 
worried that they're going to be eaten by polar bears. Good. Than being than be found, and they're Canadian. They're from Canada. Yeah, these I'm guys. pretty sure the two kids are from Canada. Are there and images have been posted? Like, yeah, yes, what they look yes. like, and, and they're everything? poor. So one kid's family is like not really saying much, but they're the other Megelski's dad is like they're good kids. They are just out on an adventure. They I don't think they would <laughs> do this. There's nothing violent. Like there's nothing. But then come to they're find misunderstood. out. Misunderstood. But come to find out, there was like one of the kids has a bunch of neo Nazi shit oh, all over their bedroom, and <laughs> I so, didn't know those were swastikas. <laughs> it's like tell me it was a new kind of flag. <laughs> I'm like I feel. Oh my god! So they're speculating that one of the kids is the leader and the other one is the follower, and we think that they think that Schmigelski is. The, the follower. follower. I know, nice last name. The one whose dad was like, Yeah, it was like, Because really, he's obviously a follower, too. I think he just got into some rough stuff. I think they were just oh going camping. <laughs> well, the fuck that I gave is really so opposite to this conversation. But have you guys been hearing at all about these contraction simulators that guys have been hooking? <laughs> have, you, have you heard anything about Yeah, it's Bachelorette. So I didn't see The Bachelorette, but Is I it? Yes. heard that I love it. that there's these guys called the Try Guys that have their like what? YouTube stars. They're called the Try Guys. I think it's like impractical jokers okay. for YouTube. Okay. And so their whole thing, I was just listening, uh, listening. I'm like, this is this. opposite of yeah. where we're going. <laughs> yeah. But it's just it's on my mind. So why not? So their whole thing, and I'm curious about the show, but they don't sound as funny as Impractical Jokers. You guys know I love them. Is that they just try stuff. Like, they just put themselves in uncomfortable situations. So are they kind of like Jackass and Impractical, but not as stupid? I don't think it's stunts. Like, it could be anything. It could be, like, fears that they have. They're like, I've always been afraid of whatever. I'm going to just make myself uncomfortable. And make myself do it. it sounds like going a, to work every day. It does sound like going to work. I'm just gonna stick my head in a bucket of spiders. I'd rather do that. Why not? Why not? So I guess they did this contraction simulator. And yeah. I just so Bachelorette. I the, we not we can look at this because I'm sorry. There is no device that can simulate a contraction. Possibly simulate actual childbirth. Well, so this is the thing, is that what they need to do is they need to hook it up to a woman that's brave enough to yes, actually yes, do to it. I would. I would. Like, right now. Okay, to see if it's yeah. actually yeah. right. And because I'd be like, you know what that is? That's menstrual cramps. Yeah, like, that's, that's the thing. Good job. So the funny thing is, on oh, Bachelorette, they, so they had <laughs> Jason Biggs and his wife come on the Bachelorette and... And she had, and the Bachelorette had a date there with like a group date. And Why Jason Biggs? I was people. very weird. I have no idea. This past Bachelorette? Yes. He needs money. <laughs> Hannah, the Hannah Bachelorette. Yes. yes. And uh, so I didn't watch that show, but I watched the last. So two on episodes. the YouTube, it was good. Yes. And were, yes, very, very good. good. <laughs> and on the YouTube, on YouTube, they had this like clip because everybody was talking about it. So it was a group date. They had like ten guys get hooked up to this machine, and the guys' faces, especially like three of them, was I like wanted to pee my pants. I was laughing so hard. They their eyes rolled back in their head. So I was like, 
whatever just happened had to have like hurt down in No, you know what they need mass. to do? They need to stretch their penis to the size of a grapefruit. <laughs> that and is then true. they will understand. That is true. That is <laughs> Then they'll understand. That is true. Like they're <laughs> they true. need to do a few things because yeah. they need to stretch well, yeah, that part down just there. Contractions. No. It's not. So. No. But the funny thing is though, is that the woman who was running it she looked like scary evil and she like she was a real doctor and she kept like turn it up <laughs> like but it only goes so far so these try guys were saying that it only goes to like like a level one contraction oh like, no this this it, lady had it on like nine and ten but if it was hooked up to you, would you call it a 9 and 10? Well, that's what I'm saying. They, they needed to put it right now to a 9 and 10. See, and they, right needed, they needed to put it... Uh, I, <laughs> they needed to put it on a girl, and that was my whole... I was mad because they didn't put it on Jenny, Jason's wife, and they didn't put it... And Hannah wouldn't know because yeah. she hadn't babies yet. But Jenny, they didn't put it on Jenny from what I saw unless they cut it out of uh, yeah. the show. But nobody All can right. say that what I was. Get us get one of these machines and, and we'll we try it out. a field trip. Kay. And I will right now, I will. Relive. And I'll have a couple drinks beforehand. There we because, go. Because, you know, couldn't do that epidural. at all before. Right. Those guys were probably yeah. like half of yeah. up. And right. then they went, they're like, yeah, sure, it's like a tattoo. Let me yeah. just lay down. Yeah. It's like a tattoo. <laughs> Well, I like so, that. Yeah. There we go. So there we go. Okay, we're gonna find one. All right. I'll I'll <laughs> I'll bill it to a job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you again for another great episode of Declassified. Rate, subscribe, review, and also follow us on all the social media stuff at Declassified with a Y. Thank you guys.